Hello, welcome to Out of Curiosity. It's our podcast where we hope to bring biblical clarity for modern questions. And uh, I'm Garland, this is Nick. Uh, Our topic today is what do we do when we encounter someone who uh, expresses a a personal story where where they've had an experience with the Holy Spirit, uh, maybe in a, in a worship gathering or in another church, another denomination. Mm-hmm. They've had experiences with the Holy Spirit, experiences with God that are outside of maybe our paradigm yeah. or outside of maybe the box that we think God operates in. Um, and so that may be uh, in a worship culture, a worship movement, uh, it could be at a conference of some kind. Um, so what, what would you say to that person? Gosh, it's it's so hard because um, I think we're we're stuck in between. On the one hand, really not wanting to be the skeptic, we are supernaturalists. I mean, right. we we believe in a living God. Right. Um, you know, anyone who believes in a dead man walking out of the grave believes in some some a supernatural mystical faith. Right. Hands down. And so, man, we never want to take the place of skeptic. Um, and on the flip side. Uh, we do want to be careful um, because there have been a lot of abuses um, and, and there are a lot of um, imitation experiences that, that are not of the Lord. And so how, how do we navigate those two? I, I think it is difficult. I think we do need some standards. Mm-hmm. We do need some biblical standards um, for how to assess experience. And what's happening? I think the entire letter to the first Corinth, the first letter to the Corinthians, is really important for this because that was a church that their spiritual experience was off the charts, and yet there was a lot of unhealth in their church. Mm-hmm. And so that's what one of the things Paul's having to do is define for them what is spiritual about mm-hmm. their lives. Mm-hmm. And so the the whole book is good, but I think really in particular the first three verses of chapter twelve are important. Would you would you read that? Yeah, for let me us? read them. First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, verse one. I have the New American Standard version. It says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Verse 3, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So, what, what most people think Paul's doing here at this point in the letter is he's responding to questions the Corinthians have sent him. Mm-hmm. And he's responding at, at each new topic. He starts off with the terminology or the questions right. they've given him. Now concerning Blake. Now concerning, now concerning Blake. Right. Now, what's really hard to capture in translation is that in chapters 12 to 14, where Paul's dealing with what we would typically call spiritual gifts, these experiences of the Spirit, there's a vocabulary shift right. that happens. And in chapter 12, verse 1, the word that gets translated, uh, the NIV says gifts of the Spirit. I think the spiritual gifts spiritual in the NAS. Gifts, Here's what's really interesting. That word does not have the word gift in it that we typically translate. It's the word that just simply means spiritual. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of have to fill in the blank spiritual what? Right. Spiritual things. Mm -hmm. So in verses 1 to 3, he uses the word spiritual things. And then in verse 4, he changes his vocabulary to the word charismata, Mm -hmm. which means gifts. And when, for the rest of the verses in this discussion, he uses the term charismata. And I think that's a really intentional shift that Paul makes. It seems like the Corinthians are saying, Paul, tell us about spiritual things like tongues and prophecy. Teach us how to be spiritual like that. And what Paul does is he answers their question, oh, you want me to tell you about spiritual things? 
And look, look at what he says. And he says, you want to know about spiritual things? Let me tell you about spiritual things. Verse 3. No one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, it seems like they're framing the question, tell us how to be spiritual by having these kinds of experiences. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spirituality. But spirituality is not these experiences. Mm -hmm. Spirituality is knowing Christ is Lord. And you may point out in verse 2, he's saying, you used to experience things, All but they were, things. they were to mute idols. Yeah, they were led, you, you, were, you, were being follow, you were following idols, but that wasn't yes. true spirituality. Pagans have crazy experiences. Correct. Yes. So any faith out there will have really incredible mystical experiences. Now, that's not to say that Christians don't have mystical experiences, too. Right. It's simply to say those mystical experiences cannot be the defining mark of genuine spirituality. Otherwise, we'd have no distinction between Christian spirituality and non-Christian spirituality. And so what Paul says is, he says, you want to know what makes you spiritual? It's your submission to Christ as Lord. Then in verse 4, he says, now let me tell you about all the different kinds of charismata out there. Mm -hmm. So then he starts talking about experiences, and he gives a whole lot of framework for experiences. So I think the starting point that we have to have is our aim, our target that we're running for, is to know Jesus Christ as risen Lord. So if anything replaces that target as what we're going after, we're in trouble. If we take any experience, and these could be even in the non-surprising ones, if we take moving music as the experience we're chasing after. Raising one's hands. Raising someone's hands, um, whatever the experience might be. Even all these experiences we say are really good. Good, loving community. If, If the experience of being in loving community happens apart from submission to Jesus as Lord, We've taken a certain kind of experience and replaced what actually is the heart of Christian spirituality. All these experiences are meant to feed Christian spirituality. So J.I. Packer in his excellent book, um, Keep in Step with the Spirit, he says the evaluation for any movement, if we're trying to say, is this a movement of the Holy Spirit? The standard we have to use is, does it exalt the historical Jesus of the Gospels as the risen Lord? Mm -hmm. If the answer is yes then we can say the Holy Spirit's involved in that. No movement can, re- can, can raise the historical biblical Jesus as Lord apart from the Spirit. Right. Any movement, no matter how phenomenal it is, that does not point to the biblical Jesus is not of the Lord. Now there's a second layer to that. And that is that, and again, the letter to the Corinthians is really important because we can say that this is a biblical New Testament church. Right. They know Jesus as Lord. They are having phenomenal experiences that are, in fact, of the Spirit, and they are way off base on some things. Right. And so it, it's not as clear-cut. I know I experience this often. I want to say, if this is of the Lord, then everything about it should be good. Right. And if there's anything wrong with it, it can't be of the Lord. And it's a lot more mixed than that, just like our lives are more mixed than that. Naturally. There's, there's a lot <laughs> in my life that is really ugly, some in my life that's really good, and I, I believe I'm a follower of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. In the same way, we can see the, whole, the same thing in a movement in general. And so Packer says, I think really helpfully, he points out that, that many people who are part of some of these really experiential movements, they're quick to point out that you can have theological knowledge without experience. Mm-hmm. And they're quick to criticize a kind of head knowledge faith. And, and Packer agrees. We don't want a dry 
theology-filled experience, uh, faith without the experience of trusting and tasting, loving, seeing, loving, loving Jesus, Jesus and loving Him with our hearts. Yes. Yeah. But the converse of that is also true. If knowledge does not imply experience, experience does not imply knowledge. That's good. You can have a powerful experience and understand it wrongly. Right. You can experience something really moving. Um, I find this happen pretty regularly in my worship experience. I'll find myself deeply moved and really pumped up and realize I was moved by really dynamic music and I was not loving the Lord. I, I was not seeing Jesus for who he was. I was just really moved by powerful music. No differently than I would have been if I'd have been at a concert in my favorite band. So I have to guard against that, that I can, I can walk away and think I had a spiritual experience and realize I just had a fleshly experience. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I mean, Paul's even saying it right there in verse 2. You've had these experiences, yeah. but that doesn't mean they were, they were, doesn't doesn't mean they were spiritual. spiritual. They did not honor Jesus as Lord. Yes. So when it comes to evaluating some of these, these experiences others have, the, the couple things I would say is the, the, the Scriptures do actually prescribe a list of experiences that should be a part of every New Testament church. Things like? Things like commitment to the apostles' teaching in the Scripture, singing and prayer to the Lord, community, caring for one another. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. um, These must be there. So we can say really quickly, if these experiences are not a part of your church experience, something is off. Something needs to be corrected. So the question then comes, well, what about experiences outside of these. Um, That doesn't make them bad. Uh, So, for example, nowhere in the Bible is painting a prescribed experience of the Lord. Does that mean a painter cannot worship through painting? By no means. It just means it's not a prescribed experience. And so, uh, when we're looking at these experiences that that seem very much outside of the box, um, I want to be really slow in any one situation to assign really anything to them. Um, because I, I, if they're not the biblically described experiences, I don't have really particular uh, direction on how to assess them. But, but a couple of principles that I think we can find, first of all, is Jesus Christ glorified and named as Lord mm-hmm. in the worship experience. Um, the, the other thing that I would be very careful of, that I, that I would always want to be asking the question, is experience becoming the new God? Right. And so if it is, oh my goodness, this powerful thing happened at this worship night, I hope that thing happens again. And suddenly the thing that we are seeking is not Jesus. We're seeking whatever that feeling, feeling manifestation, experience was. And if you look at the life of Jesus, um, he did some pretty miraculous things. And, and, the goal was always, you think about the first miracle recorded, John chapter 2, the, the changing to water to wine at Cana, it says at the end of that little story, by this Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. In him. In him, yeah. in the person of Jesus. So the, every miracle, every experience, it is all a sign pointing to him. Mm-hmm. It's like if you remember like the, the really annoying knock-knock joke we told as kids, say knock-knock, who's there? Banana. Knock-knock, who's there? banana. You right. do this until somebody's really irritated, then you say orange. Orange, you glad I didn't say banana. What's so obnoxious about that joke is it seems I to never have told no... That joke. You never told no, that joke because no. you were way cooler than that, but I did. <laughs> and what's so obnoxious about that joke is it leads you to believe you're never going to get to the punchline. Right. You're never going to get to the point. 
And I get concerned and, and have some warning flags go up when what we're chasing after in worship is a repeat experience. Mm-hmm. That, nev- that does not terminate on the person of Jesus so that we move our focus away from, hey, let's chase after knowing Jesus more and let what experience is, whatever experience is going to come with that will come. Mm-hmm. And instead say, we had an experience, Lord, do it again, Lord, do it again. Mm-hmm. And when, when people came to Jesus after he performed a miracle and said, do that miracle again, he shut them down quickly. You missed the point. You missed the point. He said, I'm not here to do signs for you. So what you're saying is when you, the, the, the purpose of any experience with the Lord, the purpose of encountering the Lord is to lead us to belief in the Lord and to yes. honor Him and to worship Him more, not leading to a desire for more experience, yes. more experience, more feeling, more feeling. Right. Feelings. It may be a byproduct of knowing the Lord. It may yes. be a byproduct of walking with the Lord, loving the Lord, but we're not see, the, the terminating goal is worship of Jesus, not another experience. Absolutely. And we are to be faithful in whatever. So I think a great example, again, from the life of Christ is he has his baptism. Um, Pretty incredible experience. The spirit descends like a dove on him. The voice of the father speaks out of the heavens. That's as epic as it gets. As epic as it gets. The very next verse, it says, the Holy Spirit cast Jesus into the wilderness where he fasted and prayed for 40 days while he was attacked by demons. He's being blown up out there. Yeah. And that experience of fasting spiritual attack and warfare was from the Lord mm-hmm. and drew him into to deeper connection with the Father in that moment of really relying on the Father. And so uh, I think whatever our theology of experience is, it has to have room for growing in faith, both through some pretty amazing, um, exciting experiences and without the exciting experiences. Mm-hmm. And so if we start building a practice of spirituality that needs the experience, that looks toward that experience for growth, I think we are getting outside of how God forms people. So would you say then, so just a, a subsequent question I have in my mind is, is there ever a place yeah. to draw a boundary within the church uh, on, on experience, on uh, spiritual experience? Well, I think a few boundaries that come to mind, um, and once again, I think we have to acknowledge with humility, um, different, different churches handle this differently, and I think we need to have some, some great humility here. But a few boundaries. First of all, we always want to check, as we said, is exalting Christ as Lord, mm-hmm. um, and, and is it pointing to Him? Secondly, is it done for, in love for others? Um, anything that becomes very me-oriented in my experience uh, instead of for the body is, is not what we should be practicing in the church. Mm-hmm. First Corinthians 13. 13. This is what love looks like. Yeah. We're together. Mm-hmm. And this is a together time. I get nervous anytime our worship starts taking a tone of, hey, this is just you with the Lord. Mm-hmm. No, it's not just you with the Lord. This is the congregation. This is the family together. And so, so is it in love for others? Um, third, is it in submission to the, the order of the church? Is there a structure under elder leadership um, where, where we're being directed and, and we, are, we are walking with the Lord and with others well. So there's, there's an order and a structure um, issue that I think is appropriate. And that order and structure leads to the next point, which it has to be understandable to outsiders. That's a standard that Paul, um, Paul has. And so if, if somebody walks in and everything, people are just shouting out in a way that no one can even find what's happening and they can't be blessed by the worship service, then I think we've gone outside the bounds. Okay. Um, of, of what should be happening. And then the last one I would say is, 
does it recognize the early church, very clearly beginning in Acts chapter 2, a defining mark of their gathering was submission to the teaching of the apostles, which we now have in our New Testament. And if the way we're encountering experience is taking any kind of revelation or experience and giving it more authority, more weight in our gathering than the teaching of the scriptures, then I think we're out of bounds there. That we should have, as far as revelation goes, the scriptures as the foundation, the central uh, place that we look for direction. So you gave five things there. Yep. That is it honor Christ as Lord? Mm-hmm. Uh, does it love other people? Not self-focused, mm-hmm. but focused on building up of the body of Christ. Uh, does it fit within the order of mm-hmm. the church under the direction of elders? Number four, is it understandable to outsiders? Yep. And then lastly, is it under the appropriate recognition of the authority of Scripture? Does the Scripture teach us or is our experience teaching us. As, as, you, as you even unpack that, I'm, I'm, my mind is drawn to, in chapter 14, Paul's going to use all of that of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He's going to speak to particular things going on in the church in Corinth, and essentially what he's going to say about speaking in tongues in particular, he's going to say, uh, you're, you're using it for your own personal experience, not the term of the Lord. Uh, he's going to say that it's out of order. Yeah. It's un, not within the order, and therefore, outsiders can't understand it. It makes no sense to them. Um, it is not honoring Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, it's, they're, they're having private individual revelation, mm-hmm. and he's going to tell them that it's all about me and what I get. And yeah. so he's going to therefore say, don't do it. Yep. So I'm, I'm asking you not to do that. Yep. And so it's a spiritual experience you're, you're having yep. that I'm actually rejecting. Yes. And so it's, it's an interesting thing to watch Paul apply all of those things. And he says, this is my command for all of the churches. And, and I think it's interesting that what Paul doesn't say is that that experience you were having is of a demon. It's evil, it's wrong. He's yeah. just saying it's not for the church gathering. Right. And I think, I think there's some, I think sometimes we feel the pressure to have to give a definitive label on an experience. Was that of the Lord of, or was that false? Right. I don't, Paul didn't feel the need to do it, and I don't think we do either. Mm-hmm. I don't think we need to feel that either. And so if someone comes to me and says, man, I had this experience and it's way outside the anything in the New Testament, way outside of anything that is, is normal, I don't know that I have to weigh in. I don't have to go try to replicate that experience in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm given a standard of the, the experiences to replicate and the things to chase after um, in the New Testament. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. This has been this has been helpful for me. Hopefully, helpful for those that are listening. Uh, thanks for thanks for illuminating that for us, yep. and thanks for listening to uh, Out of Curiosity, where we hope to bring biblical cl- biblical clarity for modern questions. Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discuss the question: How should we understand different experiences of the Holy Spirit? We encourage you to look into this for yourself even more, and recommend looking in Scripture at First Corinthians chapters twelve through fourteen. We also recommend the books Keep in Step with the Spirit by J.I. Packer and Baptism in Fullness by John Stott. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to oocuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at oocuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.